Hello, and welcome to the Uncharted Life podcast. I am Jacob, your host. Before we jump into today's episode, I wanted to remind you that if you would like to support this podcast, you can subscribe to us on the Apple Podcast Store. You can also leave us a nice review if you like it. Today's conversation is with Guy Sengstock. Guy is the inventor of a methodology called circling, which is a means of having mindful and intentional conversations. He also runs the Circling Institute where he teaches the practice in Berkeley, California, and that is a place where I am a student. Now, Guy went to art school and has an art degree as his formal education, but I really feel like conversation has become his art form. And in fact, I've never really met anyone that has the capability of listening quite like Guy. Um, Listening is his superpower. And the way that Guy approaches conversation emphasizes how much between two people is unknown. And there's a way that he approaches conversation with curiosity and wonderment that is at the core of his teaching basically tries to teach people how to go into relationship bringing attention to just how much you don't already know. And the result can be conversations of discovery where new things happen, not just the things that we expect. And it's exciting and dynamic and complex. And I really love circling. And so I was excited to have Guy on this podcast. And in our conversation, I feel like we capture some of that sense of wonderment and we discover new ground. I, I have, I had some thoughts that I had never thunk before. I really enjoyed it and I hope you will too. So without any further commentary, here's my conversation with Guy Singstock. It's such an interesting, I mean, podcasting is such an interesting thing in, in and of itself. I don't even think we really quite know what having a podcast and having these longer conversations that you can sit in on week by week, you know, almost, you know, every day you can listen to podcasts all day long. And it's, I've been really paying attention to, to what, what that means. Like, because I'm watching the news media, the, the regular news media being completely threatened and doing getting less ratings and clicks than these these dudes kind of like doing stuff in their bedroom and doing these conversations. And I don't know what exactly that means, but I've been thinking lately about it, about this. And it, and it, and it actually came from listening to Steven Pinker, who just wrote a, a new book. And what a lot of what his book is about, my understanding, is... is really showing that societally, culturally, environmentally, we are kicking ass. Like, like crime rates are down, starvation is almost eliminated, all kinds of crazy shit that looked impossible even just 10 years ago are happening. But he said that like if you listen into the airwaves, we, because there's so much communication, that what gets talked about are the negative things. So people have a, an image of the world 
that's really quite terrible in comparison to what's actually happening. And that, that really got me to thinking about, you know, what is the internet and what is, what is, like, what is the impact of, of having all of this communication going on all the time? And I started thinking about it like, well, I guess one way you can conceptualize it would be this is a, you could say, the, the humanity's brain, essentially, right? You could kind of look at it like that. And you know what? Of course, it's going to be a brain that like mirrors ours on some level. And like, if you, if you think about what, what you do, and most everyone that I know does when they think, like you think so that you can rehearse things in your mind without having to act them out. So like you can like, basically you think and notice about problems you're, because you're practicing solving problems in various ways. Um, so the consequence of having that, right, on loudspeaker all the time, I, I just actually don't even know what that means, but it's just interesting to kind of think about. Yeah, it seems like, like there's a potential for just a really negative kind of feedback if like I'm hearing, if, if each of us has a brain that's like tuned to picking up problems and trying to solve them and then um, and, and obsessing over them. And then we have, you're tapping into everybody else doing that. Um, yeah. Seems to create a global brain that might be insane. Totally. But what, what's, what is interesting is if you look at what's actually catching on um, and the kinds of people that are becoming incredibly famous that wouldn't have any way of doing that otherwise, like, like um, you know, the, what they're calling the dark web. <laughs> I think it's such a great name. Um, uh, Peterson and uh, Sam Harris and, and all these guys have this huge following. And these guys would never have any kind of audience. At best, they'd have a book that would, you know, sell that most people wouldn't read but now you get to like listen into these like free almost free form conversations with people that you never had access to before and watching them develop their thinking off of each other peterson's a really good example of this where kind of what and it's really i really like what's happening because i'll i'll you, you know, he's, he's fucking grumpy and temperamental and, you know, he's, he, can, like, he, he clearly, like, if you catch him in a bad mood, it's like he's somebody who's who will fucking bite your head off or something, right? So, like, he'll have an interview of some kind of, like, interviewer that has it out for him and, and he'll get confronted on all these things and it's usually, he's not, it's not a real conversation, you know, it's like the, the liberal media is trying to peg him. And, he'll get aggravated and then then I'll watch whatever issue and, and a, an example of that is when he talked about hierarchies and he got fucking like blamed for a lot of stuff about hierarchies and his reaction was kind of like a little brute and irritated and well done given everything but then I watched him in, in repeated interviews after that and talks and things that he did and I watched him start to really like then take that conversation about hierarchies and then in each talk that he gave you could watch him start to work it out right in such a way that was like actually a lot more integrative and a lot more calm and a lot more thoughtful and a lot less kind of blamey or irritated 
And I'm like, that's, it's really interesting to kind of look at that as like a healthy mind, right? Of where, you know, because what, that's, what, that's what life is like, you know? You, you prepare for everything and then like some kind of crazy thing comes along and like, you know, violates and, and you do the best you can and you probably don't do as good as you want. And then, and then, but if you're, if you deal with that like head on and you look at it and you do what you do when chaos comes in your life and you talk about it and you conceptualize it, at some point it kind of, you can update like the, your presuppositions and the ground that you stand on and, and stuff like that. And when you don't do that, like when you don't do that, you know, you get in trouble. Yeah, it seems like he's like, he, he especially is someone that seems to be thinking things through as he goes, like yep. th through these conversations. And even um, even in his his biblical lectures are uh, just a very interesting piece of art for me because it seems like in his biblical lectures, he's working things out as he lectures by himself, like through a conversation with his own mind, like he's kind of thinking while he's lecturing to a couple hundred people. Yep. And, um, and there's a way... That that that's kind of unique to me, mm -hmm. um, and this brings me to a topic that I think I definitely want to talk to you about is like conversation. What is conversation? What is it good for? Because you are something of I'd say an expert conversationalist. Mm. Hmm. That's cool. Or it's the medium that you've chosen you know, conversations to produce, yeah. like your art and your life's work. Totally. Yeah. So, what is a conversation? What's it good for? Well, it's funny that you like brought that up because I was just thinking about you know there's there's this other thing that's going on is you get to witness conversations, and I've like I am I am utterly fascinated by conversations. Um, I know that for me, I've had conversations with people that have actually radically changed my life, right? Like single conversations. Um, like I've had conversations that have radically changed my life for the for the positive, and I've also had conversations and interactions with people that have like like have been traumatizing and 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 like fucked me up for a long time. So there's like whatever conversations are, they have the kind of power to get deep inside of me, and it seems like other people, um, in such a way that like if we have a conversation that challenges a presupposition that you stand on top of, um, either in a positive way or a negative way, that adjustment will, you know, it's our presuppositions that have us know what to pay attention to and what to see. And so if you and I have a conversation and we talk about something that actually gets down below the level of your, of what you think with or your axioms, um, and, and there's an adjustment there or it changes, it's going to change the way that you hear. It's going to change the way that you pay attention. And if you think about that, you could say that like wherever our attention is at in the world is everything organizes around our attention, right? Like I'm watching you and you, you know, in your life, adjust your attention like in at different levels. And then I'm watching every conversation that I have with you, you know, because it goes for a little period of time before I see you again. So I'm able to kind of like, one of the things I noticed myself kind of tracking with you is like, oh, like you're going through a process and what you show up and what occurs for you to talk about with me 
and like what catches your attention and doesn't catch your attention and how you talk about the relationship you were in and what that was to you a few months ago versus how you're talking about it now. Even the way that we talked about, you know, the conversation we had about your dad. I just have this feeling that if I would have asked you that three months ago, like you may have said something really, really different. I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, there's a lot to talk about there. Like a, a lot of what I'm doing is changing through conversation. Yeah. And, and, and I think this is just one reason why I relate to you so strongly. And I don't think this is true for everybody, but I've sort of very explicitly uh, made meaningful conversation like my goal and the means through which I am enacting my, uh, yeah. my life path. Right. Like I, sort, I have a list of conversations I need to have with people roughly uh, on, on my wall, the wall of my bedroom and, yeah. and I'm walking through them and, uh, and they're powerful conversations. They're, they shake me to, to my core mm. and, um, and they're sort of like pushing me in a way that I used to think I was like invincible mm. because nothing really reached me. Like, oh yeah, I could mm. say anything to anyone because nothing's really reaching me. And after I have some of these conversations, I actually feel like a little, like like after like a difficult bout of exercise, like I actually want, want to take a break and, and it's good. Yeah. Like I've never felt, I feel like I'm using myself to the purpose I was meant to be used for. Right. Um, Right. I have what well I just have a question. Yeah. So like you've made it a purpose. Like like one of your purposes and focus is to have meaningful conversations. What do you know about conversations that had it make sense to make that choice? Like what do you already understand about meaningful conversations that would have it show up for you in such a way that you would actually make it a goal and an orientation to like move towards those and have more of them and even track them. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting because it's kind of a new vein of ore for me to be mining. Yeah. Uh, when I was younger, I thought the only way for me to make meaning was to be like master technical topics to the extent I could be like an Einstein or a Newton or a Steve Jobs or something in engineering or science. Like that was the way that you make the world a better place. Yeah. And what I'm finding is uh, I've sort of been diving into some sort of new philosophy, which is um, like I, I experimented with, uh, took a counseling course and some authentic relating courses. And I, and I found that through these courses, I was changing, I was being impacted by people and I was having an impact and it was very exciting. It was very engaging. Um, I didn't have to work to make myself do it. I just wanted to do it. And so, um, and, and, and some of those skills, especially in, in the counseling realm, I took outside of that course and, um, very occasionally I was able to help a friend through a very difficult time and sort of like bring a family together that had never talked about an issue that was driving them apart um, because I knew how to provide the, the ground of positive regard for us to have those conversations on. Right. And, uh, and I did that. And this was a family that wasn't talking about a particular thing. And the person I knew in the family, she was, she, she had said, she didn't want me to have this conversation. She was kind of on the fence about me even pursuing this because she was afraid it would make things worse. Mm -hmm. 
and and I found out that when I confronted that, mm. it made things like so radically better. It was right. You you, it it was like having a million dollars show up in your bank account when you're right. when you're like struggling paycheck to paycheck or something like like. It's the kind of windfall that that it's it's hard emotional windfall. It's like hard to find in life. Yeah, and. I became began thinking like, well, what if I could have that more frequently? Like, what if I could make that a career yeah. where I am uh, having that kind of impact on people and being impacted myself too? Yeah. And um, huh. so it's it's kind of come through just empirically, like having these experiences that show me how valuable right. conversation can be. Right. And then I want more of them, and so I'm moving towards that. Right. Totally. And I'm still, I'm still, I don't have an answer for this. I mean, I have like, it's kind of at the edge of what I'm thinking about where my attention is on, like, is what is that, that you're moving towards with those, right? Uh Like, I still don't exactly know what that is, but I know that it seems it's meaningful enough for me to just basically have it be the central focus of almost everything that I do in my life. Uh But it's funny, I still don't exactly know what is pulling me forward. That's kind of the nature of it. Like there's something that feels meaningful and like that meaningfulness kind of draws me towards it. And I'm constantly asking, what are we doing here in this conversation? Like, how did you know to like have more of those to move toward that thing that's meaningful? Well, I mean, it feels good to me. Yeah. And so it seems like the world is getting better. It seems I get, I'm imagining it's it's a feels good to you. You're not talking about like what you described there. It, you it didn't look like you described a very comfortable <laughs> thing, no. right? No, it's more like jumping out of a plane, yeah, or something. Well, that's what's interesting is that like if you think about like if you think about just like what a conversation is on one level, here's you know here's two apes like doing this bizarre social practice called talking, right? And we're sitting across from each other and we're doing these very complicated like movements with our bodies, right? That we, that somehow have some kind of background rule, right? Such that if we went too far over, we'd be like, we'd freak out and think, you know, think something was wrong with us. So we're inside of something like a dance that we know on some level how to do without thinking about it and and i if we tried to explain it we wouldn't be able to explain it but somehow we we enact it and then we point our faces at each other and we make these sounds these rhythmic sounds and out of that right out of that dance and out of those sounds like literally you could say something to me that alters the way that I see myself, right? The way I see the world, that that alters the way I make choices. That I can like I can walk out of here and out of out of our conversations be so opened up to a possibility of some kind that that will lead to me seeing something in my life that I hadn't seen before, and then that could lead to me changing the world, right? Who who knows? But like, I can't think of anything that has more meaningful potential than that like that every conversation if we we have the possibility of moving towards something that's like uncomfortable but on purpose right 
And that's what's kind of cool about conversation is that like anybody that you, you stand in front of, they're like, I don't even know what I'm gonna say. That's what's odd about it, right? Um, let alone knowing what you're gonna say. So there's this kind of world in which the unknown is immediately accessible, right? And so like in that case, you had a sense of like there's, there was conflict in the family, right? And we all know, man, like there is an unwritten rule about like the one thing that seems off limits is that you don't voluntarily bring up people's relationships when mm. they're in front of them, <laughs> right? If you talk about their relationship, like not in front of them, you kind of like do it secretly and you don't let them know. It's almost like there's this taboo. You add that on that a family. And yet other people's uh, relationships seem to like don't be a very frequent topic of conversation in yeah. the world. Like maybe something like 20% of conversations are about. It's probably even more. Yeah. <laughs> totally. But there was something about, like, how did you know? Like, that's an uncomfortable, like you, you voluntarily moved towards that. What did, what made it worth the discomfort that you went through to put yourself in that situation where so much of our nervous system would probably feel threatened to do that. Like, what did you see possible? Well, I was, um, I was fairly close to the situation. So yeah. like there was some way that ignoring it was affect, starting to affect me. I was not as close as an actual member of, of, of the family would be, but it was enough that like, I, I would be taking it by not addressing it. I'd be taking on a burden of having like this dysfunctional corner being part of my life. And I didn't want another one of those. Yeah. Uh, like I have enough right. places in my life where there are dysfunctional corners that, um, I mean, sort of like this path of having these conversations listed down that I need, need to have is something about like, this is dysfunctional. There's mm -hmm. some conflict here that I've been papering over. Hmm. And I'm, I'm sort of in this process of like unkinking my soul in some way. Like, hmm. like I kind of think of like the, like the if my soul is a piece of string, this is, <laughs> then like there's all these like knots in it, right? And there's and maybe therapy or 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 various kinds of mental health like just gives me more space in that knot. So like some of the, sometimes I can occasionally unknot un a piece of it, and. Um, you know, and the way that I'm going about it, it may be, it may be like as you get less and less knotted, uh, you attain some sort of inner peace. Hmm. Um, this is sort of on the edge of my understanding right now. Um, this analogy's not worked out that well. Huh? Um, and like my way of attaining inner peace, like my path to enlightenment, hmm. or, or my current best guess at like what works for me, like looks nothing like what most paths of enlightenment look like, it looks like directly going to like one of those knots huh. and, and directly having a conversation with the person that's causing that knot. Yeah. And, um, and it seems to be the most efficient way for me to right. unknot things. And like, as I do that, like I feel good about that interaction. I feel good about that place in yeah. my life. It seems like I just have, like I like myself better. Right. And I like people better. Totally. And uh, like my inner peace increases. Mm -hmm. Now, I haven't seen what happens if I'm unable to uh, unknot one of those places 
and I get backlash from that person and they really do and I really do make things worse. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the risk though, right? Th- that is the risk. It's, that's a risk that's been present for every one of these conversations that I've had. Right. I haven't seen what happens yet when that happens. And there's some really tough ones coming up where I'm afraid that that's going to be what happens. Right. Um, but in this particular situation, it was a new yeah. knot and I was just, I was kind of angry at it. I'm like, no, yeah. I'm not going to let that happen. Yeah. I'm not going to, I've been working on like unknotting my soul. Like I'm not going to let you put a new one in. Hmm. Um, hmm. And um, yeah, I felt capable. Uh-huh. Right. Um, it didn't feel too far beyond right. what I thought I could do. Right. I mean, and I totally did it. I have a question. I have a question. Let's just say that you didn't do that. Like if you think about like the, all the conversations that you've had like that, right? And I can feel, I can feel the sensibility of, or the impact of that in the way that you're talking about it, right? I would imagine there was probably like other conversations before the one that we were just mentioning, like that were maybe not as big or... They can, they can be even small things. Like yeah. this is actually a practice. Yeah. Like it, it can be as small as like the, the waiter giving you something other than what you ordered. Yeah. And... Maybe the the way most people might deal with that, or a lot of people would deal with it, is just ignoring it and yeah. just eating the thing they don't want. Yeah, and then uh, and then going about like being slightly resentful of it and going about in the world. And but every time you do something like that, it makes you smaller. Yeah, and and every time you you speak a difficult truth into the world, every time I've done that, it has made me more powerful. Mm-hmm. So I am more powerful now than I used to be. Totally, and I know it. Like, and so what I'm hearing you say, if we were to break that down, it sounds like you know that you've learned through those experiences that you can volunteer, right, to move towards things that are scary on purpose for the sake of something greater. And probably through those conversations, every one was probably a little bit transformative because it's not like you get less afraid, but I think that you... I think it's more like you you just you start to respect yourself, because what could be more respectable than that? Somebody who looks out on the landscape, feels something off, right, and then like gets the risks and voluntarily moves toward it, like and just speaking the truth and being true to yourself, opening up total ambiguity, like and doing that on purpose. That, like. That's the essence of what moves us. That's the essence of like anything respectable, I think, when we watch people. It's like, it's like funny, it's, I've been thinking about that too, about why is it like, I'm always thinking about like, what, what, is, it, what is it that I'm doing in circling? Like what is circling? And what is, it, what is it about it that's so moving? And I think it's just simply, I, I think this is just, it's pretty much comes down to this. It's like oftentimes when people circle, of course, if we're going to get present to what is, we're going to get present to like the edge, like we're going to get present to what they want, right? Either implicitly or explicitly. And then the moment we get present to that, whatever in them, right, is, is inconsistent with their goal will show up, right? And then like just the act of the circling and the conversation and the context of it, it shows up with everyone really supporting you to be you, which to be you means you have a goal or you have something that you care about. 
And so through looking through it, it takes courage. And so this, it's impossible to not be moved, deeply moved and captivated by watching somebody be truly human like that, like to exercise courage and go to the places that are most scary voluntarily. Like, I think that's why a lot of, a lot of the reasons why people keep coming back and circling. You know, one of the things that's most, um, I think, heartwarming about circling is um, like seeing the seeing the virtue in others, like yeah. seeing them be courageous, seeing yeah. them uh, boldly confront their um, contradictions, yeah, uh, and be willing to be seen in their contradictions and attempting to see others as mm -hmm. truthfully as they can, like. Yeah. Um, it sort of upgrades my sort of opinion of the average uh, human. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Because I'm like, oh, this is a person I didn't know, a stranger that looks like something, someone that I might never talk to if I saw them on the street. Yeah. And then I find something of value about how they're going about being yeah. them. Totally. And I'm like, and it just yeah raises my my opinion of the average person. And the higher my opinion of the average person gets. Um, just the, the better the world feels because it's like full of people out there <laughs> and, if, totally. and when I hate people it's like kind of it's, right. it's like not so good that it's full of people and when I like them more the more I like them the, the better it is right to me what you're talking about actually is is one of the things that I think um, I've come to understand what the capacity that doing things like circling deepens and what I heard you say is you're listening for human beings have changed like who you consider human beings to be is deeper right like you're watching you get to because it's not just about like watching a movie right just passively watching a movie no like you're actually engaged right you, in fact you're committed to be fully engaged and so when somebody goes through that you are a part of that like you watch them you feel it you're you're on their side some part of you is like the part of you that like cares about like whatever it is that you're moving towards you're watching this person moving towards them on some level you're watching them like act out your life right in a different way and that that is i think listening i've come to understand interestingly enough is to be like the biggest and the most important thing to develop in your life like, you know, it's funny because mostly when people think about um, communication and you look at, you know, the bookshelf, which is tons of shit out there about communication and no wonder because it's like, you think about, think about how many like conversations it took to, to build this, this thing that we're sitting on. Like, I think so for people that can't see, we're sitting on a couch or I'm sitting on a couch. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. I mean. I would guess uh, uncountable, <laughs> totally. at least thousands. Totally. Um, and I, embedded the, in those thousands are the conversations that happened that even came to the notion of something like a chair, you know, hundreds of thousands of years ago, right? All of those. Millions. Yeah. It's like, so we're literally sitting on top of like centuries and centuries of conversations right so like on some level we're made of conversations and 
but usually when people think about conversations, they think about speaking, right? Like most books are really about like teaching you like what to say and how to say it and how to be magnanimous and all those kinds of things. But the silent, the silent power in conversations and what make the difference in conversations is actually the listening. And Heidegger talked about this a lot. And a lot of the, lot, like a lot of the existential phenomenologists really kind of got like deeply into this because if you think about it, you could say ontologically speaking, like it is, it is the listening that calls forth speech, right? There is no speech without a listening that calls it forth, right? So I would imagine like in some way you are listening, like in the, in the, in when, if I were to go on and listen to all your podcasts, what I'd actually hear, right, is all of the people that you've podcast how they show up in the presence of your listening, right? And what would make it alive, I would imagine, is is to the degree that like when they showed up, you allowed yourself to be impacted in such a way that it, it deepened your own listening. And how we would know that is, is, is you would then, it would come through in how you talked about it, right? So it's like, so like most of the time, I think people actually don't listen but they don't listen to that they're not listening. They think that they're listening, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. That's what it is to be human, is to not notice our assumptions, right? That's what makes them assumptions, is we don't notice them. It feels a lot more comfortable for other people to listen to me than for me to listen to other people. Mm-hmm. And um, to the extent that I've got better at listening, mm-hmm. I think a lot of it is when other people give me the gift of listening to me like there's some way that I feel valued enough that then I can calm down and return the favor. Right. Or there's some something in me that's that's uh, like walks into any sort of interaction like anxiously. Like, am I going to be seen? And am I going to am I going to be able to say like what I want? Right. And it's sort of like like in the last circling weekend I went to. Uh, you invited people to like just mention anything that was like on their mind that was keeping them from being present or some sort of prompt like that at the beginning and I spoke my mind uh, and then I was able to like drop yeah. in I'm like it's important for me that everybody knows that everybody listens to me and now I can listen to you yeah um, and there appears to be some other personalities like you seem to have less of a need yeah. to be heard right away yeah like when I t- talk with you, a lot of times you start asking me like, what's up with me? Uh-huh. And I'm just really happy to share. Totally. And then I feel really good. Yeah. Um, so I'm kind of wondering how do you, how do you have developed like this capacity to, to listen to people? Mm-hmm. How do you reduce that anxiety that like you won't be heard if you don't blurt something out? Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of different things that like contributed to that. I want to say that like, first of all, like, it hasn't always been that way for me. Um, and on another level, on a deeper level, it has always been that way for me on a very deep level. But I, I think back about, I think back to 20 years ago, like when we first started doing circling and stuff, like so much of my attention was on how I was being paid attention to, right? Like, like a lot of what I said was on some level trying to make, like, 
trying to make sure that I had in some way control over how you saw me, like that I was impressive or that you liked me and those kinds of things, right? Because it's, it's really vulnerable to be in a conversation, right? I, I, in, fact, in fact, that's why I think that we text so much versus getting in a conversation because conversations are inherently uncomfortable. Right? There's a, it, it reveals our vulnerability, our sense of obligation to the other that like Levinas would say is you can't get under. Right? I am a responsiveness, an ability to respond to the other. My whole nervous system is already designed for that. So there's this kind of quality of that even in the most ordinary, simple, as you were talking about before, right? the most ordinary simple conversations right have this complex layers of a sense of obligation to the other um, and how I under how like how I form an identity is really given by how those conversations were and the attention that was paid to me throughout my whole entire life that's how I've I've been shaped literally like by other people's attention and in, in, in interacting with that. Um, as I've gotten older, I think this has been a combination of like probably some of it has to do through like like really through virtue and like my own like self-understanding and um, self-inquiry and my desire to like, you know, my meditation that I've done, all the circling that I've done, all this desire to grow as a person. What's interesting about that, like, is is what that has meant for me, is as I've grown as an individual, I've become less and less of an object to myself. It's really interesting. Like when I, if I go back in time, and I look at areas in my life where I was like a lot more insecure, who I was in an individual is more of an object of my own thinking, right, of my own thought. Um, because I was constantly managing the sense of vulnerability. So when you say that I was more of an object to myself, is it like more of your attention was on yeah. yourself and how you're showing up? Yeah, totally. And I've, I've just noticed like, and, and I also think that it's like, not all of that's just virtue. All of that just also feels like just age. Like at a certain point, <laughs> it's like there's a, a few years ago, I realized that I had lived my whole life not really present to the finish line <laughs> like I, if you would ask me back then like of course i knew i was going to die but a few years ago i started to like as i started to age right like i like what joseph campbell says is like when age is like getting older simply the the, the mass to energy ratio changes right and i've had injuries that don't heal as much and and i watched my cha my face change and like I can't remember, like remember things as, as good as I used to. And there is this sense of like, I'm very aware of the finish line. And it's so interesting because something about that just has like the image of myself and the importance of myself feel inherently not nearly as important as it used to be. Um, I still don't quite understand all of that. Like, well, it seems to make it makes some sense to me that when you have a lot more 
potential going forward just in terms of time that what happens seems to carry more stake like you you are more maybe you are more who you are going to be than 20 years ago there was a wider range of who you could be yeah so so it actually like there there's more at stake in Mm -hmm. day-to-day activity when you're younger than when you're older totally and there's also a sense of like I really do feel, and maybe this is just maybe this is just actually from life experience, but the notion of being a self and what that is used to feel a lot more solid to me. And actually having having a kid, going through a divorce, like kind of having my life all fall apart and rebuilding it and you know, having all kinds of <laughs> all kinds of stuff that's happened, going through all of that stuff. I just notice I don't have this my sense of what it is what itself is the background sense of it or the assumptions of it there's something about it that just feels a lot more finite and ephemeral than it's ever been but what's interesting is that like what actually has brightened a lot more is the world like the projects that I'm doing and the people that I'm talking to and the things that are important to me it's more like I just find myself a lot more, my attention being a lot more invested in like meaningfulness of my engagement and what's really salient for me in the world. And what used to be salient a lot more was the image of myself. And I have to say that that, like, that just eliminates so much fucking energy. <laughs> because on some level, I guess that's kind of what it is to be a self. I mean, A.H. Uh, Almas, kind of talks about this, about like the inherent narcissism of being a self-conscious individual. And he talks about it, the narcissism of everyday life. He doesn't just talk about it in the pathological form. But what he says is like what it is to be, have a self-representation is, is the knowing of myself through inference, you know, because there's like the narcissist myth, which he doesn't, he's not present to that the beauty, right, is in the observer. He's looking at his own image and he falls in love with the image. But what he's blind to is that actually the beauty's that which is seeing, right? And so he's tortured. That, to me, that is such the human predicament, right? Of like, it's, it seems like your moment. You're, you're no, I think there's something really. Um... There's definitely something very uh, elemental about this, yeah. and, and there's something you said earlier that was calling it up in me too, like this, um, like this interplay between the uh, the perceiver and the perceived, yeah, and sort of our desire to be both in some way, or our need to be both, yeah, our need to be seen, and yeah. see others. It's a, it's, it's like. It's very, it feels very fundamental and it feels like this might be at the root of certain kinds of dysfunction, of psychological dysfunction. Um, And it's it's unclear to me. Um, Mm. I'm getting some some sense here. Like it reminds me earlier of when I was talking about how I need to be listened to. Uh And and that enables me to then listen to others. And there's some way if I'm just listening to others, that I feel resentful of them. Like I, yeah. I'm like, like recognize my beauty. Yeah. 
Um, and there's a way I can only recognize my own beauty when other people perceive it. Totally. So what's it like to say, like, so what you heard you say is like, I only can rec, there's some way in which I can only recognize my own beauty if other people recognize it. And such that if they are talking about their own beauty, right, for too long, you'll get cranky. Yeah. And resentful. Yeah. What do you make of that? I don't know, because I want them to be beautiful too. Like I want to be surrounded by beautiful people, and, and that can only happen if I'm rec- if I'm recognizing and appreciating it. Yeah, I've gotten a ton of value out of being the perceiver mm-hmm. and letting other people being the perceived. Yeah, um, oh. feel this feels like a pretty complicated knot, guy. Uh, I don't really know what to make of it. I would say that, like to me, I'm not sure. It feels like the anti-narcissist too. Like, if I'm recognizing that I need other people to see my beauty, to feel beautiful, then there's some way that I'm identifying with the group. And, and, I'm, I'm, and like, I need the group to be functional for me to be functional. Yeah. Um, in a way that I, th- I think some amount of that's actually good. Like, this, yeah. idea, that's this idea that we can, uh, there's sort of, like, an idea in... Um, in kind of hippie new agey circles if i'm going to like just put a big old label on things that like you should strive for being enough in yourself yeah like your perception of yourself as good should be all that you need and that's what like enlightenment is is when you don't need anybody else right and that to me does sound like a narcissistic fantasy Um, of aiming for what's the name there's like a philosophical term for being the only thing that exists uh, oh yeah, like r- uh, idealism, only, like radical idealism or something. It's like when when if I believe that I'm the only conscious being in the world because I'm. Uh, well, isn't that guy Singstock? <laughs> no, no, no. Okay. It's Jacob Lyles. <laughs> but there, there's, a, there's a philosophical term for this that if if I can figure it out in five seconds, then a solipsism. Yeah. Yes. It, yes. it seems to me that like the the concept of enlightenment that some people have is like to aim for solipsism yeah. as like a goal. Yeah. And. Um, there's something that I feel okay about, uh, like needing other people uh, to to be valued because, like, I'm, I'm a social being. I'm a social ape. Yeah. And then, but then, I think the way that I can be assured of my own value is by working towards the health of the group. Yep. And keeping and identifying and having some sort of um, tightly connected smaller group in my life that feels like family like through which I can actually enact goodness because yep. if I'm identifying with a group of a group that's too large like I can't actually do that like, I'm not that powerful uh-huh. uh, not yet yeah so yeah you're working this, you're working this is, this is where I am you're working like I appreciate what you're we're, working we're on, on the here. edge of order and chaos totally uh, or we're, we're just over the the, the realm uh, we're totally over into right. the realm of the unknown. We, we just stepped totally slightly over that boundary. Yeah. And I, I've thought like, I, I appreciate what you're saying. It's like, you know, there is this degree in which there's like, there's a kind of like, like neuroticism, like, or, or there's a way in which I can relate to, um, really what we're talking about with narcissism is being an other for others. Right. So like, it's interesting. Cause like, a, a in, implicitly in the conversation 
there's a guy in your head that I have a some imagined sense of that is so much of what I'm listening to in, in innately in how to talk with you. Like, so for example, if like- So you're perceiving what you imagine my perception of you to be and yep. you're reacting to that. Yep, totally. And I would say that like, you know, you just go to, like when you're a teenager, like hormonally, like neuro, neurologically, like you have so much energy around, like you pretty much are your social status, right? Like you just, I, I was watching teenagers like walk down the street. And I remember being that teenager and I remember constantly being terrified, right? But like putting, there was this distance between my insecurity and the image that I put in the world and I was constantly managing my perceptions with no fucking guidance. Like the only ideal that I had was like this vague sense of being cool and I, I had different degrees of being cool throughout my, you know, my, um, my teenage years. But when I was, I wasn't exactly sure how I got there, right? And I thought all that was private. And if I thought none of that, like what was really important about that for me is that you couldn't look like you cared about how you were seen. That was the fucking trippy part about it. So I'm watching these teenagers walk down the street and it's so obvious like to me that they're all fucking like they're all watching each other they're like posturing and they're being cool and they're checking in with each other and they're like fucking with each other and they're like they're and then you know like one person like like one one guy like said a joke and it didn't go off well and he saw him get embarrassed and then he saw him like like be cool or something like that and the other ones kind of laughed at him and used him to shore them all their own selves up and like then he just kind of drifted in the back and you can feel him just like like a, and then someone looked behind him and then he'd like changed, right? I think that there's something interesting going on that is pretty natural, right? Like social status and- yeah, I think I do that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it sounds like me. <laughs> Wait, are we supposed to grow out of that? <laughs> totally. Well, I think that there's, there, Morris Berman, um, wrote a book called um, Coming to Our Senses and he talked about he called it the ba he talked about something called the basic fault right um, and for Berman like the basic fault was this um, this dividing line between the self and the other and he used the, a term, I think it was a French psychologist that talked about, uh, used a term called self-confiscation. And basically what self-confiscation is, is when most of what I consider myself is that image of you and your, like the image of myself in your mind, right? To the degree that the self is confiscated is to the degree that I've identified myself as an other for other and that everything that I do, even when I'm not in front of people, is in reference to thinking that I am the way that you think about me. Mm -hmm. So that, look at Facebook. So I'm seeing myself reflected mm -hmm. in the eyes of others and confusing that reflection yep. with, with myself. Yep. I'm trying to figure out 
how to tell how much of that is going on. Mm-hmm. Is it a bad thing if that's going on? It seems to be like, mm-hmm. like we're sort of implicitly saying it's a negative. Well, I think that there's another, there's another thing that can be also be going on. Okay. Um, like I've noticed, I've noticed this when I meditate a lot. Right. If I'm like, if my, if I'm like, I love to meditate. We were just talking about this before. I'm so glad that I actually like it because otherwise I wouldn't do it. But like, if I'm meditating an hour to three hours a day, which is sometimes I can get on that roll, I notice, I notice um, what happens when people ask me how I'm doing, where I look. It's really interesting. It's like when I meditate a lot, my practice is really deep. When they like, when they ask me how I'm doing, there's this sense of like where I look is a lot closer in. Like, it's kind of like, well, it's like my body's pretty good, feeling good. There's a sense of well-being, right? Like the, like the in and out breath just happening automatically. That's pretty fucking cool, right? And when I'm not meditating as much or when I'm under a lot of stress, you ask me how I'm doing, I'm like really gonna like load you up with all the circumstances in which I'm concerned about, mm-hmm. right? Or think about that and, and pretend like I'm not concerned about them or something like that. Where I identify where I'm located is less and less in, you could say, the pleasures of being an experiencing body. Like that's what we get confiscated from, right? Is is so, where I find myself. So there's this feeling um, that I often get, especially when I'm stressed out, yeah. of my identity sort of being spread over all these concerns and things I'm trying to do. And it's uncomfortable. I actually feel stretched. It's almost like a, it's like a rack, yep. you know, like a medieval torture rack in some way, mm-hmm. or like a pizza, pizza dough that's kind of like being right. spread out and right. it kind of feels tense. Right. Um, it doesn't feel very good. Yeah. And I suppose if my locus of identity is closer in, mm-hmm. then maybe I can be just a little happy, a little lump of dough. Totally. Uh, and, well, the, and, well, then it's not like you don't have an identity or don't care about it. But I think you could actually like, it's more like you can, like you can actually care about it more in some way. Right, you can actually voluntarily be obliged and be great to people, but to the degree that I'm not like who I am is not really who you think I am, right? Um, to the degree that I'm less identified with that, the more free I'm gonna be. Yeah. Right. Like, like the less you'll be a slave to my perception. Totally. Totally. Which then allows you to surprise and delight me in probably more ways. Totally. Like there, there's something. There's something uncomfortable about interacting with someone that cares too much about what I think about them. Like I actually feel start feeling like contempt for them and yeah. also an annoyance with them. Now let's just say for for, for a second, like we'll explore this with you. What is it about somebody that has that going on in an extreme way where they're like you can feel that like they're really after like your. You, like you, their image of who you are in their eyes. And you have this interesting thing that goes on, is like you start to hate them. Mm-hmm. What, why? What do you think? What do you make of that? Mm. I think part of it is I don't like that in myself. 
Yeah. Like if I'm around someone and I care a lot about what they think about me and I'm managing myself very, yeah. very tightly, and this happens a lot on first dates, <laughs> um, <laughs> then, uh, then like I, afterwards I'm like, I don't enjoy the time when I'm with them. And then afterwards I also feel bad. Yeah. And so like seeing that, seeing someone else get stuck in the same trap I get stuck in, it's like, oh, why can't you just be better? Why can't we be better? Why, why? Like you're bringing up my, uh, my totally. self loathing. <laughs> Oh, um, I think that's part of it. And then there's part of it, uh, like it's, it doesn't feel good to be in a position of too much power over someone uh, because it starts, like the responsibility for making things happen relies too much on me. Mm -hmm. um, and so the interaction just has a lot less fruitfulness and a lot less surprises and a lot less... Mm -hmm. It's just a lot less delightful. Yeah, totally. Let's just say, let's do a little uh, cathartic experiment. Let's just say that, like, what if what if we found out that that was you, right? It, I mean, it, like it in is. the most extreme way, right? <laughs> let's just say, like that that like you found out, and not only you found it out, but like you found out that actually everybody knew that about you, right? And that you're just finding it out in a way that you didn't realize before, but you're that person that's just absolutely... It's just craving people's yeah. validation yeah. all the time. What would that be like? I feel like I, I would be very tense and anxious and like every interaction I had with someone, yeah. I'd, I would drain a lot of energy out of me because yeah. there would always be so much at stake whenever anybody that's saw right. me. Um, that I might actually like retreat into my shell a little bit mm -hmm. right. um, and become more disconnected because I couldn't handle mm -hmm. social interactions. Um, Do you think you'd kind of like, if like say that like the jig was up and everyone, you're at a party and everyone just like the jig was up and you, you got the news, they all saw your need for their attention right yeah. and your identification with with how they thought like would would it be like humiliating like what what wants to hide i, I think that they would not want to interact with me but what would you of course they wouldn't right yeah. just like just kind of like you feel disgust about that like just imagine like you found out that they've been feeling disgust the whole time right yeah <laughs> like You'd want to like some part of you. I heard you say like would want to go into its shell, yeah, and hide, right? Yeah, it would be very vulnerable. Exactly, and I think that that's the thing about this that I, I feel like the only appropriate response to that basic fault or that self confiscation is is the only appropriate response to it is compassion. Because what it, what it is, is it's a misconception or a mistaken, you've mistaken where you are, right? Like what could be more intense than for somebody to be themselves, lose contact with it, and then look for themselves where they're not? Like that's the essence of human suffering, right? If, it, if like that does not fucking boil down to like, like the thing underneath, 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 
of most of our suffering, it's fucking that. But what's interesting is, and I think you, you highlighted this, when you think of really narcissistic people, right? Like say really narcissistic people, like the, like the pathological ones, like the ones that are just showboats and that you, like you get embarrassed just being around them because they don't notice like how they need everyone's attention, right? It's funny, it's almost like everybody gets a free pass for just fucking hating them. You can even imagine like Mother Teresa, like, like even her, you could be like, oh, like even she gets to be disgusted by him. And like, then everyone will talk about them. And it's, and it's weird, like with that kind of pathology, it's interesting how it's almost impossible not to fucking hate them. And I think what that is, is I think that they display like in an exaggerated way, like the truth of our, of, of our own egoity, right? Like when we look at them, the reason why we hate them is because we hate like, like the place that, even if you don't know this conceptually, the innate sense of that I've lost, I've lost contact with my own being, right? I don't know who I am and on some level, there's a difference between what, how I emerge spontaneously as a being and the image I portray. We all have that sense of there being a difference. And if that got exposed, that would be like the worst news in the world, right? But actually, what that, what that really is though, is, is what that exposes, is like you're a being that fucking gives a shit, that cares. and and you're a vulnerable human being that can be mistaken, right? Can be impacted by their childhood and like not be seen and be narcissistically hurt and deeply wounded and then try to resolve that hurt through making sure that you see me and love me and all those kinds of things. What's really going on underneath that is that there's this like little innocent being that didn't get what they needed and don't know who they are, right? Like if you really just like, it's funny, I'm just like kind of making that up and just like, and I can feel myself just being like, like my voice goes softer and there's just a sense of tenderness and like, but it's very difficult to be with that in ourselves. I feel like I'm sort of lost in, uh, I think I need a small break for, for, for a small restroom break and we'll cut this part out uh let's keep it on there okay so we can manage you know see what happens if we don't manage our our, our self-representation well <laughs> nobody wants to like wait for me to come back there's so many topics of conversation i want to talk about I was thinking about a lot of them while I was meditating. Can I throw a few at you? Mm -hmm. Can we just like lay out a menu? Yeah. And see like what resonates. I with mean, you? there's there's like we can we can we can complete this loop into a, a pretty nice a nice thing. You think so? Yeah. Yeah. All right. How do we complete the loop? Well, it's just like there's like there's talking about like how the like what are the implications of like what when you know what is it to be a self like what is it to go like be courageous and like 
to like voluntarily sacrifice your precious self-image for the sake of something greater and what happens when you do that over time like what is it to be like injured that way especially if you had a like a raging father who you who had a lot of power over you like that and you experience humiliation and then you couldn't repent like what that what that turns into <laughs> and how like you work through that and but i think just like what what came up for you and how alive it is for you like just i think it's i think that's rich Whew. I didn't even know there was this many options. Um, but what were you thinking? Uh, so, hold on. Something about voluntarily sacrificing self-image. Uh, that sounds really interesting to me because that's sort of a path that is part of my path. Mm -hmm. It's like yeah. let myself be seen in a way that's less controlled. Yeah. Um, and it's like there's some way that I'm managing sort of a uh, higher level self-image through that like by sacrificing my self-image and letting people see me yeah. more authentically then I become known as someone who is more authentic yeah totally. but it's also like a self-image that I like better so so there's some way that I'm acting for myself through that mm -hmm. more so mm -hmm. uh, because it takes less energy to manage a self that is a self-image that is more authentic in the world uh, and it's more fun to do yeah like if i'm putting something out that's like really authentic so people can get to know me know a part of me that like ordinarily i might suppress like that's just just tasty it's fun and and like i like myself better when i do that totally so so like there is a way that there is a way that that I'm gaining social status by doing that and, and that I know that I'm doing that, mm -hmm. but there's also a way I'm gaining status with myself and, um, and I think it's bringing my self-image closer in. Yeah. So, so it's not, it's not completely devoid of some of these negative patterns, but I think it's better. Mm -hmm. That seems to be. Well, you like one of the things I'm appreciating about, like, is like, you're like, I didn't experience you being at all defensive about this, but you were like, you volunteer, like, oh, I think I do that. And like, you're even talking about, oh shit, this is like deeper than I thought. And, but there's a way in which it's accessible to you to be aware of. I would imagine that that wasn't possible at some point for you. It's true. Something I grew into because I found that it was possible to make life better through truth in which it was not possible there was li very severe limits to my ability to make life better yeah. through yeah like trying directly to improve people's opinions yeah. of me yeah but and, and trying to like directly improve my yeah. my image of myself yeah i can hit the gym i can dress better i can speak better i can sort of market myself better uh i can work on my personal brand yep. but there, there, that's like takes so much energy and it's so limited um but right but confronting myself through through truth and seeing more of the truth of what i am it's just it's just so much easier to make it brings me into a state of um, I, I've heard I've heard some people using this term criticality, hmm. which is when a system is capable of making big changes through yep. small efforts. Yep. 
Um, and, and so, so pursuing the mm -hmm. truth of seeing myself, including all of my faults, right, uh, seems to give me just a lot more power to change. Totally. How, how did you know to have the truth be important? Like, what? How did that come about? When did the like the truth be, start becoming oh. more important than other things? I mean, it's always been important to me, abstractly. I cared about truth as my highest value from the first time I thought right. about such things. Right. Maybe nine, ten years old, something like yeah. that. But this idea that there was a lot going on in me mm. and that there was a truth to myself that I wasn't seeing um, was probably... It was, it's a very slow dawning realization. I think Buddhism and psychology have turned on a lot of these lights for me. Totally. But there, there's also been this... I'm, I'm actually trying to think of precisely when now because I can remember grad school, I didn't have this. Uh -huh. and grad school for me was... Uh, say ended about seven years ago um, like maybe I was starting to catch on to something but I didn't quite have it I think it took it took like heartbreak and frustration at I tried to proceed in the world without knowledge of self mm -hmm. and I got stopped yeah and had I been more competent Mm -hmm. at say computer programming maybe I would have never looked into myself mm -hmm. I think it was part of a crisis response yeah the things going poorly yeah it's like life isn't giving me what I want let's figure out mm. let's start moving to other mm -hmm. other areas to mine yeah to mine or mine to mine goodness mm. and and I think I really started looking into that. You know what? If I had to date it to a particular date, let's say maybe my first Burning Man, and uh, which also included my first strong psychedelic trip, mm -hmm. um, I think that was oh. shortly thereafter I started. Psychedelics will do it, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So if psychedelics certainly are a confrontation with self, mm -hmm. I believe. Yep. Uh, a lot of people use them to get away from themselves, and I have too. Yep. Uh, but I, I believe that to some extent, both the beauty and the terror that people that I have experienced yeah. in that state has to do with like the beauty and ugliness that, um, or the beauty and just terror of being me. Yeah. Uh, totally. And, and having both of those things amplified. Totally. Um, and and I think the th the the thing that has been a great gift to me is that I find when I get depressed, um, I don't feel either the beauty or the terror very clearly. Mm -hmm. I feel sort of this negative but very monotone sort of experience. Right. And then the psychedelics, it feels very cathartic when when I again recognize. Even when I feel the terror, like that feels cathartic. But yeah. and then when I recognize that there has been beauty all along, right. like there is real beauty that I see in me, mm -hmm. like that, 
is hopeful. Yeah, you meet yourself. Yeah, and, and it's not all bad. Totally. And it's not as bad as I've been fearing. You may, you may be more than you, you may be more than you think you are. I think that's the big, I think that's the big um, thing that I think what we're, in my, my experience is, is there's like who I am, right? Like there's who I actually am, which is somebody who's up to something. But there's this way in which I can like kind of point to myself and I can, if you ask me what I'm up to, I can like point to myself and I go, I'll look at myself and I can tell you about it and tell you all that. But I can also point to the same place right here in my chest. I have my, my finger in my chest. And I can, I can ask, what is it up to? And it's really interesting. I have a very different sense, like, but a very real sense. And the it to me, what is it up to? Feels that puts me in this different, like, I get the sense of that somehow when I say, what am I up to? That is happening inside of the it. And there's a, there's, in, in, and I, as I've gone through my life, I can't tell you how many times I have found out why I did what I did. I thought I was doing this in order to da 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 but actually when I actually get there, I realize, oh, this is what I was interested in. This is what I was up to. This is, you know, almost everything good in my life is a function of, of getting to where I got. Um, and I, when I got there, I realized I couldn't have ever even wanted it, like, or known about it. So there's this kind of way in which we kind of like, we, we have this kind of, I think we have this weird folk tale or superstition about ourselves that there's this like, I am me and I have access to myself and I know who I am and that like, if you ask me, I can tell you and I am who I tell you. Truth of it is, man, like, like just like you, I will say things and do things that I didn't know I was capable of, right? I can even want things my whole life and not even be aware of it, right? So there's this kind of level of like, I think where what starts to happen is like, what, for example, what you're saying is like, you know, the insidiousness of the narcissism, right? Or the self-confiscation is like, I feel the Nemo inside, the emptiness inside from the fault, right? And then I feel that emptiness and therefore I engage in this incessant activity <laughs> that is trying to get you to like reconnect with the other, right? In order to fill the emptiness. But of course it requires my activity in order for that image to be formed. So it, it actually doesn't actually fulfill the emptiness. So like, and you're like saying, well, well, like I really appreciated that you, you really kind of got that. Cause I can, I can appreciate that too of where, well, okay, now I can think about myself right now. And I, I like, then I can see myself being a person that doesn't care about all this. That's like more, right? I can like I want to be a person that's less narcissistic and more other oriented or something like that. But what's interesting about that is that if you actually take that on, and let's just say that you kind of get there. When you're there though, this has been my experience. When you're there, you realize that there isn't what you thought. And that, and that you couldn't have wanted it 
right? Adi Shanti said this. With a, I, I did a Facebook post on like on this. <laughs> people look crazy over, but Adi Shanti one time said that like he was talking about enlightenment, and he was saying, you know what? I couldn't have wanted this. There's no way I could have wanted this. Ah, huh, yeah. Right. I, I, I think I'm getting at some. I think, I think I'm getting something from you. Yeah. Um. If I were to voice it in my own words, it would be something like, um, like my current path in life of like trying to straighten out all these knots through having conversations with people. It sort of comes in response to a period of like the deepest emotional hell that I've ever had. And, and in that suffering, I've learned to be open to the suffering of others. Where actually now when I listen to someone suffering, like before I had like some idea that I wanted to be a compassionate person or something. So I would try to listen to people suffering, but I couldn't feel it. And now I have something to compare that to. And I do feel it. Like when someone, when a friend tells me how they're suffering, like it touches that piece of me. It touches that memory of suffering that I now have. Yeah. It's like I didn't know the color red and now I know it. Yeah. And... Um, and so, and I, I like it. I love it. Um, I am a way more powerful and whole and capable being of interacting with the world in a positive way because I know what suffering is. Uh, but it wasn't what I was aiming at. That, that actually happened on accident Yeah. in some way. Yeah. Um, well, I think the thing of it is, is like if you're paying attention, right, and you let yourself... Like you let yourself, your attention go where it goes. Your attention is like your attention is is going to notice things to attend to that aren't aligned and actually will threaten your self-image, right? Like for example, that thing that you're talking about earlier, right? Like like you're seeing this, you're seeing this thing going on in a family, and you're like, oh, there's a dead spot, like in in. And to walk into that and risk like not being liked and being mad at and all the things that like I would rather control or have somebody ice skate on my face than experience. <laughs> but your attention can notice it and feel the dissonance. And if you're true and like to your attention, because your attention is a lot more intelligent than what the contents of my thought or my thinking, right? Att like, like attention educates thinking. And so if you actually just start to like confront what bugs you in your life and handle it, it's usually like if like everyone listening is just like if you think about it, it's like if you just kind of look around and look at all the shit that you're ignoring that, that like speaks to you. And if you just started to have to go handle it, I guarantee you it would put you in positions that feel embarrassing, that feel like humiliating, like that feel like uh, less than the image of what you want to do. It will be scary it will fuck with your this like like most prized little self-representation that you have. <laughs> so it's like if you just start to handle what captures your attention, which I think has more to do with who you are than my representation of myself in my head that I try to get mirrored out here, right? Is you start to do that like and you start to show up for that and you start to like you, what, what ends up happening is if you volunteer for it 
and you exercise courage for the sake of something greater, you'll go through a whole experience where like, you'll basically like die over and over again, but like you'll die in these ways and kind of be reborn in it with a genuine sense of meaningfulness and you'll start to have a lot more of a sense of self-respect, right? Like not self-esteem, not the gratification of being like being seen in someone else's eyes, because I think that's more reality. Yeah, the thing that's um, cool for me about this is that I basically trying not to be bored. Um, something like that. Like I've when life is inescapably boring, I start to wish I wasn't alive uh, for a long enough period of time. And there, there's something about noticing all the places that feel dissonant, that feel threatening or like, like where I know something's wrong and then confronting them. That seems every time I do that, it's opening up some chapter of adventure. Um, and it seems like it sort of has an unlimited, I mean, this is me being optimistic and speaking as a poet, but it seems like it has an, like an unlimited capacity to bring adventure into my life. There you go. So what you just did in my view is you just demonstrated listening. Did I? Yeah. To me, like, well, that was just this me. Kind of goes back to the deeper me thing. Me thinking to... in response to you talking. Well, yeah, I was, like, I was impacted by you. Totally. Like you, you, you have a listening. You have a listening that opened up and actually, like, not just, like, not just connected the dots for what you already know, but you were some part of you that was available, like, to be changed and influenced by what you heard, and like me. Like, like me watching you kind of take that and put it into your own words. And like, literally, I was like, oh, he's in a flow state right now. I was. Right? You're like, you're not trying to be cool. You're not thinking about it. Like, you're just totally just here. And like, you're, I'm watching you reconstruct like the structure of your life in some way. And what's fascinating for me is like, I'm like, oh, I feel fucking truly heard. <laughs> right? I feel kind of like you really... You really got what I was saying, not like information that you now have stored, but like the dynamic thing that is a conversation. Like there's something inherently like beautiful about that and alive. Can you feel that like right now? Yeah, well, it was um, so interesting. I often think of listening as being like something hard and something that takes my energy. And that was something fun yeah. that didn't take my energy. It totally. makes me feel totally en enlivened. So it's totally. kind of cool that both of us could feel enlivened by me listening. Right. And so like, think, of, think about this. It's like, when you go outside, I bet, it's like, this is another thing about like conversations. The ones that have really impacted me, like some of them are really dramatic, right? Some of them are like, obviously this changed my life. But then there's other conversations where what they're saying like some part of me kind of got like it was like oh that's different or meaningful or like like i saw things from an angle through understanding you that i hadn't quite seen before and it wasn't that dramatic but then i go away and it's kind of like there's this open like like there's a 
a tear in the map, right? And so where that tear in the map is, is the place where the, like you could say, the world itself gets to shine through, right? That's where like there's light and newness that comes in. And so I could imagine like, I bet the next time that I see you, which will be I think on, on Friday, you'll probably tell me about some experience where you're like having something to do with what we were talking about right here, about like narcissism and self-confiscation or the way that you pay attention or the way that you listen that will that have informed your life and will help you understand your life better and have more distinctions and they give you more choices and it'll, it'll be exciting and you'll share about it with me and I'm, I'll probably do the same thing with you. So in this way it's like like this is how I think conversations can actually like we get we create each other in them. It's like like we express ourselves, but we also construct each other in it. And that's why I think it's really important to like, like I think- We form ourselves through action. Totally, totally. So I, I, I know this for, for me, I'll, I'll, and this kind of gets at to some of the, like the thing that you asked me about, like listening, having a, a deep sense of listening. Where I've like really experienced that a lot is actually through, through reading philosophy. Um, I've always, like, I'm not a good reader. Like, it took me until I was, like, 11, like, to even begin to start reading. I have all kinds of learning disabilities and stuff like that. But for whatever reason, when, right around when we started circling, I somehow got obsessed with Martin Heidegger. And I don't know why. I'm still finding out why. But through reading him and grappling with, with that text, really interesting because especially for Heidegger but really anybody like anybody that like you have a sense of admiration for and you're going like they're saying something but I can't quite understand it's a little bit outside of my comprehension when you go and like for example with Heidegger and this can be the case for anybody that you talk to as well right in order to understand what he's saying, I had to step so outside of my frame of reference to then look back on what he was saying from a different angle to then maybe understand and comprehend what he was saying. That like doing that over and over and over and over again, I didn't notice that it transformed my, like my whole way I saw my reality. Like that I actually had to, like when you're around people that you admire or when you read like, authors that are like like smarter than you are or going into an area that's meaningful for you but beyond you and you like you struggle with it and you really like let yourself want to know it you actually what, what what's interesting is that you actually have to become someone that could actually think the thought that the author is thinking right that it's a it transforms your mind and it transforms your listening and it transforms how you see so that's why I think it's fucking brilliant that you go, yeah, I fucking want to like, I want to be around people and have meaningful conversations. I want to be around people that I respect and I admire. I think the intuition there is that like, if I'm around them and I actually want to understand them and be, and be in the presence of them, what I admire is that whoever they are is going to require me to be able to have the kind of attention and listening 
that could actually grok them. That thus in that relationship is like that, right? So I think it's just like I think it's a really I think it's really wise of you to have that as a goal, right? In your That's life. Interesting. Um I don't know that I that I have had that as a conscious goal about having conversations with people I admire. I do interact with their thought, often through podcasts or reading. Bingo. Uh, and I'm and I'm there's certain people I'm drawn to because you know, like why do I admire someone? Probably because there's something about how they're doing something yeah. that I want to have. Yep. Totally. And Sometimes I, I don't necessarily have confidence that I can have that capacity, mm -hmm. but you know I'm I'm still taking I, I, taking in some part of it. Yeah. Uh, through through this interaction with them, and I would imagine that whatever it is that you see, first of all, I would bet actually you probably don't even know what it is that you admire. That that's you could probably think about it, but the truth of it is, if you really admire it, right? you a lot of it's unknown and you just have like little intimations of it but but it's true like there's you get the sense that there's something meaningful about what the way that they see life or the way that they're doing things that is that you don't quite understand but it speaks to you as an individual right that it becomes worth being awkward and struggling like like trying to understand them or like go through the intimidation that you have to go through to like like come be around or whatever this like the struggle is that you have to deal with which has to do with you know like you have to kind of get over your self-image and your insecurities in or because there's something meaningful that's worth it and, and it's you're willing to sacrifice on some level some things that are really would be more comfortable if you didn't make that sacrifice. Yeah, I like that. I, I think about, um, this reminds me of my experience in teaching painting. Um, when I went to an art class, and I'm not a very good painter, but I know some people when I went to an art class wouldn't even try um, because they were so afraid of being bad. Yeah. And so my partner and I, we made an art class that was like about just making a mess and um, and we we tried to make it to directly target like like that impulse like this this sort of self censoring impulse and I notice that when I'm around people that I feel like are above me in some way I do have this self censoring impulse like I am the guy that's afraid to paint for fear of being seen as like bad but of course you're bad the first time you try something new like it's part like. Yep. Action builds yep. us. Like we, we need to act in yep. order to build ourselves. Yep. Um, and sometimes our actions are, you know, they're not cool. <laughs> totally. If you're really living your life, like you're constantly involved in something in which you suck at. <laughs> so <laughs> on purpose, right? Yeah. Well, we have like, a, we have five-ish minutes left. Uh, I wanted to ask you, Hmm. Um, I have this. This I'm, enjoy, this, I'm enjoying our conversation. I am too. Yeah. Um, I have this this constant frustration, which is uh, having conversations that don't feel meaningful to me, and uh -huh. then feeling trapped in them. Yeah, and then feeling like the world is largely composed of them. Yeah. What's? Do you have? Have you figured anything out around that? <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, a couple things. Like, well, first of all, I think it's like, I, I guess it's a little bit self-evident, but maybe not. Like, Let's assume nothing is right. self-evident. It's, it's like, you know, it, it seems that people, the sweet spot is like, you know, what Taoists talk about, like just on the edge of order and chaos, right? Or yin yang, and that you want to be right on the sweet spot. And that's the most optimal place to be. If you're around people that like, for example, addicts are like this, right? Like people are really addicted. They're constantly too far over into chaos. So they're incoherent, right? Um, and the drama and all that stuff that like comes of that. And then, but if you're people, if you're with people that are like, too much about safety and they're all about security right and then they're too rigid and fixed and therefore when you're around them it's the opposite it's like you're everything becomes about ensuring that something doesn't happen right and so the range of the conversation that you're that you can talk in is boring right because it's repetitive so if you think about it like but but Here's the thing is that there is always a way that you can enact with the conversation by paying attention to what's meaningful to you. Sometimes what you find is meaningful to you is you feel inspired. It's like a light and you want to go towards it. The other, other way that meaning shows up is it's like painful. Something hurts. Something isn't happening, right? Like, or it's dissonant. Like if you're in a conversation where it's like something is you're suffering in some way, if you bring your attention to that and get interested in that, right, and connect with them and in some way start to move towards that explicitly, I guarantee you, you won't be bored, right? Now you got to do it. You have to, you know, to me, I have a high value on like, I don't want to like, I want to, I want to be respectful of people's egos and their structures and like there's a reason why we have we're socialized like we didn't have like social rules and, and like respect like this kind of given respect for each other and the culture that has built those social roles up there's a re there's a reason why we have that we'd be in fucking total chaos so i'm not a proponent personally of like like dropping the the honesty bombs without deeply considering the impact of that. So I'm more of like, I think the artful way of doing it is like, one, you care about things. So whatever it is that you care about, when it's not happening in some degree, you feel it. When it is happening in some degree, you feel it, right? Either one of those, if you just follow your impulse there, right? And like you just start to move towards it, politely but just pushing the edge maybe it's like maybe you like what i like to do one of the things i find myself doing is like when i see somebody's kind of like like insecure and and like managing everything or fucking up i love like to just point that out by like implicitly making fun of them or hexing them just a little bit where i'm just really like i'm seeing who they are but like i'm like i'm like you know, like maybe I'll come up to you, I'll be like, huh, aren't you interesting? <laughs> right? Like if you're like, say I, I saw you like really being concerned about like, like whether or not you're getting enough tension or you're being seen or something like that. And like I see a self-conscious, I, I could come up to you and go, it's like, I'd be like, are you like, 
aren't you interesting, <laughs> right? And I, I'll joke with you about it or something. I'll, I'll push that edge. Um, or it may be something like, you know what? I'm like, I'm noticing I, I have, feel this pressure to pay attention um, because I'm really afraid that if I let you know that I'm bored, that you'll take that personally. But actually I am kind of bored and I want to like, I want to have more aliveness. And so I'm taking this risk right now with you. Boom, here we are. Now we don't have any idea what's going to happen next. Yeah, right? so it seems like there's there's like some, I think it's like, it's worthwhile, it seems worthwhile to push, find the edge, I mean, if it's something painful. I think the, the failure mode that most of my friends fall into is like talking about information that's yeah. like not interesting to me. Yeah. Where like I want to, I want us to feel more alive together. Totally. Uh, so like approaching that edge, but having, respect and care for the the other person's yeah. experience as well and not just not just pushing them without totally. also establishing some sort of ground of concern yeah like some sort of ground Bingo. of positive uh Bingo. regard yeah like care for them yeah respect them as a human being and but, like but, if and that's it, your intent i think you can do everything wrong and it'll still work out <laughs> right but if you secretly just kind of hate them and are resentful towards them and you kind of make them an other and then you do that like you can even use all the right language yeah and it won't totally work out at the end because it's really our intent yeah i, th I think i wait too so long uh, for conversations to go down a path which is painful to me that right. when eventually i act to try to alter things it is it comes from a place that's like you know just kind of eyes closed right. just kind of like saying no and and like it's just pushing people uh, in this, some way like I think even if I act earlier I can have more capacity to tend to them yeah and, and tend to our connection um, it's it's, a, it's something that's sort of an active area of growth for me so. you stand you can stand up and go like stand up in the middle of the thing and like take your shirt off and go don't you see my cosmic specialness you're not <laughs> seeing that like I'm think about it all the time how come <laughs> <laughs> um, is there any uh, final? Uh, we're, we're actually like basically out of time, so it's totally. Uh, any final words that you'd like to leave yeah. for our listeners, or things for them to check out? Totally. I I think well, the thing I'm just really present to is I feel awake. I feel awake to. Like that, that last thing we just talked about of like in a conversation, if if what matters to you, something that's happening isn't addressing that or it's you're going to feel it. And if it is, you're going to feel it. Inspiration to boredom to irritated to upset, right? All of that, like I just want to kind of talk through this, like all of that I'm really getting is it points me to what's meaningful. And like, so being authentic is being true to what I find meaningful. And if I pay attention to what my emotions are as indications of meaning or revealing the world as meaningful, and like I keep bringing my attention to that place and interacting with it spontaneously and paying attention to the other person and feeling into myself and addressing that, I have a feeling like, man, I'm gonna end up weaving a life 
that when I look back, the pattern is going to be really, really rich, right? The weave that I, the weave that I end up weaving will be one that is probably more true and authentic and alive, and that the self, the self that I so like yearn for other people to see, I'll end up probably being that, but be the one that needs to be seen less for it or something. The other thing I wanted to talk about too is, this is what I've really gotten with circling and I think it, it keys into like what we talked about with listening. It's hard to describe what the mirror in, like the mirror has been a cultural historical anomaly for us, right? Because when I look in the mirror, what I see is not my sense of being someone, right? Like when I feel myself, like like my sense of being myself, and then when I look in the mirror, and I think we all have this experience, when you look in the mirror and you don't know you're gonna look at yourself, you see yourself, and you have this moment where like you're an other, and then you realize it's you, and then you have this weird sensation of like, what you're seeing is not yourself, right? What you're seeing is, the, is like the, the the self that the other one sees of you. That's what a mirror does. And what's interesting is like, is like at some point when we were kids and we looked in the mirror, like we, when we looked in the mirror, we couldn't recognize that that was me in the mirror, right? And then we start, then we could, right? And then, but, but it's not stable. Like then you kind of fall out of that and when the next time he's in the mirror, you don't quite recognize and then you start to, and at some point, something becomes stable where you can recognize yourself as the reflection in the mirror. And then I think the tragedy is <laughs> at some point when I look in the mirror and I have the feeling of myself and I see the image of myself and it's different, I call the one in the mirror me. But I think the one in the, like actually the one, that's the other. That's the, that's the stranger. That's the one that other people see. But who I am, if I'm really deeply me, what, if I were to draw a self-portrait, what I would draw is the room. <laughs> like I draw my, like my knee, my foot, I draw like a little part of my nose. Like who I am to me is I find myself here already begun with certain things that are salient like so you're the perceiver yeah i'm the like as, as as heidegger would say like i'm the clearing right in which the world gathers itself and i think that like i think this is what i'm start, trying to articulate is is what what i think i call the quality of my life like when i go like how am i doing how's my life going it's starting to feel more like like I feel more identified with being the witness of it. And what shines forth is the beauty in the world. Like, and it has me think that maybe actually enlightenment, you know, whatever the fuck that is, is like probably less about being, being a being, a hunk of thing that like has some kind of special consciousness. I have a feeling it's more like, it's really more like, what you actually see is there's more light in the world. You're able to see more of the light within the world and see more of it and be in reverence of it. Like, 
I think that we are actually more of like this space that gets to fucking give testimony, right? Like, because on some level, like the, there was a big bang and it grew a nervous system. And it just happened like a fraction of a second ago when you look at all time. Like we are the place where all that is like opened its eyes for the first time and took a look at itself and saw itself as itself, right? That is, on some level, there's who I am in my life and whether or not I can like, I can like be someone and have a legacy and all the things that I'm usually concerned about all day long. But there's this other way in which I'm already more than I can ever accomplish. Like I get to be the one who where the world I get to be the place and the witness to the world in all of its life and its death and its feelings and its tragedy. I get to be that occasion and that sight. And I get to say what I think about it. Like, what the fuck? What else could you ever want? That might be a good place to stop since we're the universe perceiving itself right now, uh, what better place could we possibly get to? Good talking with you as always, my friend. Good talking with you, Guy. Uh, you're a treasure. Thanks. Good to see you. Mm -hmm.